Good morning, everybody. So good to be together. Uh, feel free to fan yourself. Uh, if you're brand new with us, my name is Aaron Stern. I'm the lead pastor here, and I also want to take a moment and welcome everybody joining us online. Can we give a big warm welcome to our online community today? So glad you're joining us from wherever in the world you are. Uh, you ever find yourself maybe uh, uh, at the grocery store or you are you pull an apple out of the fridge or off the counter, and you're like, a oh, perfect apple. It's got the perfect shine. It's like the perfect size. It's the perfect color. It's, it's, does, it's, it's the perfect like firmness. It's not squishy. There's no dents. And you're like, oh, yes, this looks awesome. You take a big bite into it, and you see that something has been in there. It's got some holes. There's some worms or some sort of bug that has made its way into the center of this beautiful-looking apple. It's so disappointing. And that is exactly what Jesus is addressing here as He's walking His way through the Sermon on the Mount. He's addressing things looking great on the outside, but being rotten or toxic on the inside. We're landing our series today, the, the, the series Losing My Religion, a little sub-series within the long, almost year-long series that we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is addressing and regularly confronting the religious leaders of the day and encouraging them and us to drop religiosity because religion distorts the way of Jesus and turns it into something it was never meant to be. Today we're starting chapter 6 of Matthew. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount is found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We finished chapter 5 last week, and we start into Matthew chapter 6 today, starting in verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Now, here Jesus starts off with be careful. This is a warning. He is uh, in this warning, and the tone throughout this passage is not one of like, oh, just kind of be aware and check in every now and then. There is a vigilance and an urgency that he is saying, I want you to be on guard and be alert. Be careful not to practice your righteousness. Now, that's kind of a, a funny phrase. Practice your righteousness. It actually might feel a little bristly to some of us, feeling like, oh, that feels like works. But Jesus is talking about good deeds. An old old-fashioned term might be piety or actions that your, that your faith would be, be careful not to practice your faith or live your faith out in action in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets. Now, if you give today, there's giving buckets at each of the exits. When you give, there will be a trumpeteer next to the bucket, and every time. No, I'm kidding. And that didn't happen in the first century either. Jesus is actually making a play on words because, because the offering containers or whatever they would drop their, their offering into was oftentimes made out of a, like a ram's horn or some sort of horn that they would drop it into, which either that type of ram's horn or something similar would have also been used as a trumpet. And so, so he's making this play on words of like, when you drop it in, you could do it in such a way that other people notice it. You know, if you've got a handful of change, it's like, 
drop one in at a time. You get back and, you know, that kind of thing. Clink, 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 and you just keep giving. So the point is so that it gets noticed by others. As the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, it was a phrase that was used frequently in the first century, that was used as a way to say, hey, pay attention here. They have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Now, this is the second time in this passage that Jesus has used the phrase or the word hypocrites. Now, for us, the word hypocrites has a negative connotation. That was not the case in the first century, and many scholars believe that Jesus was actually the one that gave the word hypocrite a negative connotation. He uses it 17 times throughout the Gospels, and he attaches it to religious leaders, but the word was the word actor. So, it'd be kind of like saying, don't be an actor, which has less of a negative connotation, but his point was, don't act like something that you're not. Don't look good on the outside, but have something different going on on the inside. It says, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Notice how Jesus indicates the different types of rewards. Some, one reward would be the approval or the noticing of others, and the other would be the noticing or the approval of the Father. But He doesn't say what the reward is. He just seems to indicate that it's better. Now, Jesus, here in this passage and continuing on in chapter 6, next week we will jump into and start going through the Lord's Prayer. But after the Lord's Prayer, He kind of picks up the same theme and He talks about fasting. Jesus in this passage isn't giving an in-depth teaching on giving to the needy and giving. He talks about that later. We'll get into that here a little later this summer. He's not giving an in-depth teaching on prayer. He's not giving an in-depth teaching on fasting. He's addressing religious hypocrisy, which would have been a a little unsettling and even maybe unnerving for many of his listeners on that particular day. Because what was trained, what was modeled, what was taught by the religious leaders of the day was that your public works not only enhanced your standing with God, but it also enhanced your standing with others. So the Pharisees were actually well regarded in the society because of the way that they lived their lives publicly. Now, I want to highlight a couple of things that Jesus is not saying. First of all, Jesus is not saying, don't do good works. He doesn't say, be careful not to do any works. Don't do bad works. No, He's saying, these are good things to do. And He is not saying you shouldn't do them. Jesus, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, interacts with the laws. Earlier in chapter 5, He says, I didn't come to abolish the law. So, He's not throwing these things out. Jesus interacts with the law, says He fulfills the law, but in this particular case, He's diagnosing patterns that block us from obedience to the will of God. 
So that's why he says, when you give to the needy, when you pray, when you fast, not if you get around to it, or if you think about it, or if you're holy enough, or when. It's just part of what you do. In first century Judaism, there were three main pillars of Jewish piety or acts of righteousness, good deeds. And they were almsgiving or giving to the needy, giving your finances away to someone else in need, prayer, and fasting. So Jesus is just addressing what was part of the tradition of what every Jew would have done and just been doing maybe their whole life. Now, when he says these practice of righteousness, I think it's important for us to define righteousness. We've done this before, but it's important for maybe any who missed it and just as a refresher. See, righteousness is, is one of the main themes of the, of the Sermon on the Mount. The number one is the kingdom of God. The second most emphasized theme throughout the Sermon on the Mount in Jesus' teaching is righteousness. Definition of righteousness is right relationship with God, right relationship with self, being in right relationship with others, and even as we talked about last week, right relationship with your enemies. And so what he's saying is the truly righteous person shows their righteousness or shows the evidence of the kingdom of God being at work in their lives through good deeds, good things, good things, good behavior comes out of our lives. What Jesus is saying is behavior matters. Maybe you've heard the phrase before, the gospel is not about behavior modification. That's only kind of partially true. It's about life transformation. That is true. What I think is important for us to realize is that that the gospel salvation, the work of the Holy Spirit, and the transformation that happens in our lives does not start with and is not limited to what we see on the outside behavior modification. It begins with the grace of God. Salvation is a gift. The kingdom of God is, we, we are welcomed into it freely. But it should impact our lives in such a way that it looks like something in our lives. It should modify our behavior. So, behavior modification is not the first thing, but it, and it's not the only thing, but it is an aspect of what our lives look like when they're impacted by and we, and we reflect the fact that Jesus rules and reigns in our lives. So, Jesus is saying that behavior matters, and it will look like love towards God, towards yourself, towards others. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And if they're not your neighbor, you need to love your enemy and make them your neighbor. Now you might say, well, man, I feel so bad for those first century Jews to have to struggle with that. I think we are just as much in danger of falling into the trap that Jesus is talking about as they were. At Mill City Church, we place a high value on practice, on what, you, what some might call a spiritual discipline. We believe that, that spiritual practices and rhythms and habits, and not just once but ongoingly, are important for our spiritual formation. And formation does not happen without repetition. And so therefore, we're going to encourage and we believe in and we're going to practice fasting. That's why we have 21 days of prayer and fasting in the beginning of every year. We have week of prayer coming up here in the beginning of August. We encourage a weekly Sabbath. We encourage silence and solitude every day. We encourage the practice of giving. We encourage the practice of 
participating in a gathering on Sundays and making that a weekly ongoing, the encouragement and the practice of being in community. So we are in danger of doing the right things for the wrong reasons. Because Jesus is saying behavior matters, but why you do your behavior matters. See, Jesus is also not saying we should hide our good deeds. Jesus and His disciples all gave to the poor, they prayed, and they fasted. Jesus fasted for 40 days, and we know about it. (laughs) Somebody saw it, wrote it down, put it in the Bible, and it is the most, the the highest-sold book in all of history. So, the fact that someone else knows about it is not the problem. It's doing it so that somebody else notices that becomes the problem. Jesus is not addressing the action. He's addressing the motive behind the action. Just a little bit ago, Mercy prayed publicly. We all noticed. Callie and team led us in worship. We all noticed. I'm up here preaching. I hope you're noticing. We will talk about giving, and we'll talk about why generosity and giving matters and where it goes and and what your generosity is doing in our city and around the world. Why? Because it matters that we do those things, and it is seen and noticed, but really the question behind it is why? Why am I up here? I'd like to think, the reason I say it that way is I'm not sure that we can all have 100% pure motives. But what Jesus is saying is, don't just assume you have good motives all the time. Be alert. Be careful. Truly I say unto you. See, because in Matthew 5, verse 16, just several verses earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, let your light shine before others that you may... They may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Okay, Jesus, it looks like you're kind of speaking out of both sides of your mouth. I mean, right here you're saying so that they can see your good deeds, and now they're saying, uh, pray in secret. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Are you talking out of both sides of your mouth? No, the key to that first verse that we just read is the last phrase, and glorify your Father in heaven. It's not that they may see your good deeds and glorify you. And we can do things to glorify ourselves or to glorify God. See, we are to be glory deflectors, not glory receptors. And if we're glory deflectors, a little glory might fall on you. If somebody says, hey, way to go, don't be like... Like it's okay to be encouraged. It's okay to get noticed. It's kind of like cologne. I mean, I, <laughs> where's cologne? Uh, it's like, I don't. Uh, maybe I should. Today especially. Uh, a little bit of a cologne on you is fine. If I drink it, it's not. We or to deflect and reflect the glory of God, not be receptors of it and absorb it into ourselves. See, Jesus is saying why we do something is as significant as what we do. What we do is important. Why we do it 
is as well. In other words, one can help the poor and at the same time be using the poor. Blessing to the poor? Absolutely. Need they worry about your motives? No. But should we? Hey, look what I just did. Look who I just helped. Absolutely, we should look at that. Now, here's the thing. We all inherently want to be noticed. I mean, think about when you were a kid or if you have kids. Look, Mom, look, Dad. I've been to hundreds of basketball games and soccer games. And, and I've noticed something over the years. That, that whenever one of my boys scores a basket or sh- shoots and makes a goal, that even though there's cheering amongst their friends, you know what I oftentimes see? is that little look up into the stands. And they look for me and Jossie. Did you see that? Mom, did you see it? Dad, did you see it? We like to get noticed. And there's nothing wrong with some encouragement and somebody noticing us. And oftentimes, if we miss the notice from parents who are an important leadership figure in our lives, we will sometimes spend all of our lives chasing the notice. It's the reason that you sometimes hear about the pain of somebody from their childhood never having, their parents never showed up to notice. This might feel like an an especially poignant message if you're an Enneagram 1, 2, or 3. I'm an Enneagram 3. I like people to think positively of me, and I care about how I'm perceived. But I think this is a message for all of us. Because in some form or another, it's easy for us to decide to get on the treadmill of life and start to chase after the approval, right? We want to we get noticed. We want other people to notice us and think, look, like me, notice me. And, you know, we live in a world that uh, doesn't really help us these days. But what happens is, like, it's nice to be noticed, but it's another thing to perform. We start doing things to, to get noticed, which means that we have turned what we do into a performance. And we have social media, which does not help the situation. Because social media is all about the notice, the like. Right? I mean, you ever heard of the, you ever, you ever seen or heard the humble brag? You know, it's the, I just heard about this orphanage that's in need. And they needed $10,000 in order to do this thing. So I started a Kickstarter campaign and $12,000 came in. And I'm just so grateful for what the Lord allowed me to do. And I just love what God is doing in my life. Just thought you should know. (laughs) I think social media sometimes can be a bit of a... (sighs) Thank God the AC is not working today. Social media might be a little bit of low-hanging fruit, though I think it's important and it can be impactful towards us, but have you ever found yourself fishing for compliments? 
Did you notice that? Or are you just happy to not necessarily get noticed and it's okay? Somebody doesn't give me the encouragement? What do you think about that? What do you think? How do we do? You're fishing. Our culture is obsessed with looking good over being good. Do you know that on average, there's one fatality a week by somebody trying to take a selfie? Hanging over the bridge, off the cliff, building, whatever. One fatality on average a week. Our desire to be seen by others is literally killing us. Everybody wave. Let's see. Let's see if we can't get this on. There we go. (laughs) Post that on Instagram later. Look what I did. Hashtag for his glory. (laughs) When we live for the approval of others, our ego swells and our soul shrivels. Because living for the approval of others is spiritually deadly and will hinder our life in the kingdom of God. And if we live by the approval of others, we will die by the disapproval of others. Because it's one thing to get the compliment, and it's another thing to get the critique. And some of you have a great day when you get the likes, when you get the compliment, when you get the encouragement, when the right... Maybe sometimes you... You post it, and you're like, oh, that's a bunch of likes, but then you're like, but that one person didn't like it. And you just keep running. Maybe I just need to run a little faster. Just got to keep running. Maybe if I just got to keep going. Okay. Jesus in this teaching, his other teachings, is giving an invitation. His invitation is to live free from the tyranny of other people's opinions. For some of you, just the sound of that sounds so wonderful. because you feel like you're on a treadmill chasing after something, but you find as you look around and it's been a lot of effort and you're sweating and you're trying and you're working, but you're not going anywhere. I'm in the same spot and I'm getting exhausted. Do you want off? Jesus says a little later in Matthew, Are you tired? Are you worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Rest.
walk with me. And work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Jesus has learned from me, look how I've done it. Jesus lived his life for the audience of one. There were times when Jesus had massive crowds surrounding him, cheering him on. And there were other times when those crowds were saying, crucify him. And other times the crowds are walking away from him. Even his closest friends are betraying him or denying him. Jesus just kept walking. Why? Because he was living out of the security of the eyes and the approval of his Father. Before Jesus started his ministry and later on in his ministry before he goes to the cross, Jesus hears from his Father and we get a picture of it too. And he says, that's my son. Jesus comes out of the Jordan River and he's, 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 he just got baptized. That's my boy. He's my son. I love him. And I'm so proud of him. So what's Jesus saying? What's his invitation? You can live out of that too. Tomas, you're loved. God's pleased with you. Emily, God loves you as his daughter. Just proud of you. Jesus got those words before he did anything. It's not like, well, I achieved that. I earned that one. Kate, God loves you. You're his daughter just because you are. So proud of you. He says that to each one of you, each one of us. And you're like, oh, I blew it. No, no, no. Not because you've done something great, not because you blew it either. Loves you. Proud of you. And the more we develop intimacy with God, the less we strive for the affirmation and attention from others. Last year, I took Parker, my oldest son, on a little trip. I, I'm doing this with all four of my boys as they transition out of high school and into college in the next phase of life. And on this trip, he and I talked a lot about transition and what's coming and what to expect. And, and towards the end of the trip, I took some time and specifically blessed him. I said, Parker, you're my son. I love you, and I'm well pleased, but then talked about why in very specific ways about him. And I told him, I said, I want you to live out of a place of blessing instead of chasing one. And God would say that to each one of you today. Don't spend your life chasing something you've already got. So you want to break free? Receive the love, the admiration, the affection, the pleasure of God today. 
And if you're like, well, I walked out of here, I don't feel that way, sit in his presence every morning and just sit there, hands open, God, I want that to not just be a, I know you love me, but a, I know you love me. And Jesus gives another little key. Do things without anybody else knowing. Break free by landing in and rooting yourself in the security found in God and do things without others. Weekly practice this week, everybody, do something for someone else and don't tell a soul. They find out it's fine. Don't do it. Don't post it. Why are you doing that and how can you do that if nobody else notices? Because it's for the eyes of the Father. You're not paying attention to the eyes of others. For some of you, your next step in here is to evaluate your motives. I think I'm doing the right things, but am I, am I doing them for me or for God? My glory or God's glory? If you find that that's the case, repent. Ask God to purify your heart, to have pure motives and to see God. For some of you, it's not about purifying the motives. It's about doing what we're supposed to do. Some of you need to step into doing things, then evaluate the motives behind it. Some of you need to commit to and engage in a city group. Some of you need to take the step of giving and tithing. Some of you need to take the step of prayer or fasting or being committed in a place where you've not been committed. Commit to a regular rhythm of some spiritual practices that are a part of the formation of our hearts and our souls. There's a step for each one of us here today. I want to give us a moment here today to respond. Carry these questions and carry these practice into our week, but I want us today to take a moment and reflect, ask these questions of ourselves. Callie's going to lead us in a song called, Oh Lord, You're Beautiful. For some of you, it's an older song, and so for some of you, maybe you'll recognize it, for some of you don't, but the words are poignant. And so for maybe some of you, you want to stand. For others, you want to kneel. For some of you, you just want to stay seated. Whatever it is, but I ask, would you open your heart? Would you allow God to speak His love and His life and His truth into your heart? to point your eyes towards heaven.